0: So, wait, people. Are- the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. Welcome to the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Podcast, the podcast of Clean and Sober, K L E N and S O B R, and sincerightnow.com. With your hosts in recovery, Jeff, Woo! Matt,
1: and mm. Chris. Yeah. Uh,
0: how's it going? Pretty good. Yeah, good. Yeah,
2: good. All right. Hey, they're happy. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. You're looking uh, good. I hadn't seen you in two weeks. I don't know where I've been. Yeah. Or was it? Maybe it's one week. Yeah. I missed last week's show. Yeah, you missed last week. And you, neither you and Matt were depressed. That was a hilarious headline. Right? You listen Are <laughs> yeah. you? Are you watch. Yeah. So <laughs> that's no, so Matt. And funny. I, it's
2: funny. We both came in <laughs> going, oh shit." I wonder if we are depressed. I'm like, I'm like, am I depressed? I'm yeah. like, trying to think because every time it's just Matt and I. It tends it's a depressive dude. It depresses, For a depresses zone. Zone. Yeah, that's yeah, hilarious. We, we tend to just be depressed. But you weren't. But we weren't. No, which no, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, uh, um, that was a lesson of the story. Not now. Um, it, but here's here's what's interesting. So, uh, this was cracking me up, kind of. It uh, this week, maybe even today or yesterday, I forget. Um, a listener wrote to tell me that last week's episode mm-hmm. was a longtime listener. The worst episode <laughs> since they've been listening, <laughs> which which kind of cracked me up because what's that's uh, beautiful. And, well, one, it's you know that's fine. You know we've done yeah. there has to be a good one and a thirty episodes one. Sure. or something maybe more. We're not going to hit um, it out of the park four, every four time. years, right? And there right. has to be a baseline. Now we know what the baseline for the worst episode <laughs> is. It was Matt and I last week. That's funny. I we'll um, have to listen to that and. Yeah, actually, people listen to that, so you know what how bad it can get, and then everything else is better than that. Yeah, Um, but here is the thing. uh, So then I was wondering, like, if you had to break it down, I bet they would have thought. I bet they would have thought it would be a better episode if we had been depressed, which is really interesting. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because we would have. You yeah, because I think. We, we did a lot of like sort of inside baseball stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was thinking a lot about the, the podcast itself, mm-hmm. like structurally and, and you know, the form and, and how we might change it. And I won't get into it because that was a, that was a complaint that I talked too much about <laughs> the podcast. Anyway, I think that's part of what yeah. threw him off is we weren't talking a lot about recovery. Yeah. We weren't talking. Uh, we didn't have a topic. We were just sort of yeah. two guys hanging yeah. out and talking, yeah. which also got me thinking about the nature of this podcast. Uh, I feel like the way I think about it, and maybe I wish people thought about it, is it's more a radio show Mm -hmm. with three guys Mm -hmm. than it is a podcast with a topic every episode. You know, if you tune into a radio show, like a morning zoo kind of thing, and it's three guys sitting around, they're not going to say today's topic is. They're going to be doing their morning zoo. Yeah. And we're
0: kind of just three guys talking, and sometimes, you know. Without the cool sound effects of a good radio station. Yeah. Yeah. We should Uh, get some of those. Yeah.
2: so anyway, uh, worst episode ever, last okay.
0: episode. Check it out. Um, That's awesome that, that it, it was the worst it, episode ever. Yeah. That's so cool. Good. I, congratulations. And Matt, I haven't told Matt yet, so oh. I hope you're excited. <laughs> um. <laughs> and and so you went back and thought about the structure of that episode and broke it down into why it was the worst episode. Not exactly, but no. that's what we were talking about on that episode was, was the ep- how, things that we might do yeah, with the pod, this oh, gotcha, podcast gotcha, gotcha, itself to gotcha. do whatever.
2: So, let's not talk about the podcast no. structure or no. how we run it or anything no. anymore.
0: Uh, this episode going to be the best episode ever. Well. It could be. It, 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 it has the potential. It,
2: right. And here's the thing. It's not going to be the worst. That's right.
0: <laughs> so, so you're um, tuning in at a good time. Um,
2: and uh, let's
0: see what else we got. Well,
2: one, I just want to mention. Can I mention? Jeff's been sure. all over our local news, like the major, major paper, one of the major television stations did a feature, uh, the local uh, alt-weekly yeah. did a feature. The Riverfront Times. The Riverfront Times, yeah. the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Uh, I forget what television channel did the we, piece. I know we were on uh, CBS local. Yeah, CBS local. KMOX. Um,
0: but yeah, with... Uh,
2: can we name the name? Sure. Wellbeing Brewing Company. Wellbeing Brewing
0: Company. Yeah. yeah. LLC. Coming soon. Coming soon. So yeah, we're going to be the world's first non-alcoholic craft brewery. We're going to brew uh, 0.0, as close to 0.0 as we can get. We're trying to figure that out, but it's going to be, yeah. That's for all purposes no alcohol, no alcohol beer, and in all the different craft styles. Some am very excited about that. Brew. Brew. Yes, we're calling it brew. It's not um, a beer, it's a Brew. So, that's exciting. Yes. It's it's been fun to
2: see. Because I haven't seen Jeff, but I've seen all his press. That's funny. And, uh, yeah, it's been exciting to see it. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention, uh, through the end of October, uh, Pockitudes, dot com is giving our listeners, uh, what did I say? Uh, I forget. Is it 20%? Uh, 20% off. um, And... uh, that's cool. Uh, uh, yeah, here, and here's the thing. You have two of us here tonight. Yeah. Jeff left his here accidentally last time, yeah. hasn't had it with him. Mine was uh, requisitioned by my daughter <laughs> nice. almost immediately. That's so, awesome. Uh, I'm going to have to reach out to Fred and see if we can get maybe a few more. That's funny. Um, but,
0: it's, but it's basically a, a place to uh, put your daily reflections, your gratitude list. It's basically yeah. a guided... Yeah. Gratitude, yeah, um, notebook, yeah. It's very exactly. simple, though. It's not. It's. It's not. Yeah.
2: Uh, it's not like. Um, it's low impact. You yeah. it's not like you are going in there and filling out a whole diary, worth of stuff. It, totally. It's keeping you focused and 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 guiding you quickly through. Or I don't know, but quickly or not, but yeah. um,
0: easily yeah. certainly through. Um, and and daily gratitude lists are a thing you hear. It's almost like one of those cliches that you get sick of hearing, but. Right. It's and when you do it, and I recommend it to sponsees all the time. Right. What are the five things you're grateful for? And that the practice of it, the practice of it is attitude changing, and thus pocketudes, mm-hmm. very nice.
2: So, and like I said, it's just a a a, a brand and a product that uh, we just think we think's yeah. pretty cool, and so we're just uh, yeah. shouting them out. And he and Fred and pocketudes dot com is kind enough to uh, give our listeners. Sweet discount off. when they use since right now at checkout. Cool. All right, let's. Uh, we have a, a fascinating guest as we tend to get on the show. We're very fortunate that way tonight. Casey Anderson. It's um, uh, uh, this was a good get when you <laughs> you, were emailing, you were like hey yeah. we got
0: Casey Anderson. And we're like what? Like yeah, because yeah, he's got, he's got a he's fascinating a story. Fascinating and story. Again, and again,
2: we were just talking about how. Every story, all of our stories yeah. are, are the story we needed to get us where we are now. They're, yeah. they're what we needed to happen to us mm-hmm. to get us on the other side. Right. Some people require or seem a bit to, more. seem to be able to endure <laughs> and, and, and require a lot more than others. But yeah. um, certainly from my perspective, and I think Jeff's perspective, yeah. it's a pretty good story. Um, so, anyway, let's, uh, let's calm up. Let's see how this thing works. Um, Casey is
0: an amazing musician.
2: Casey, well, yeah, that's what she meant. And Casey's, a lot more. And a lot more. Yeah. But he's an amazing musician. Yeah. Uh, Caseyandersonmusic.com if you want to know more about uh, that specifically. And uh, we're dialing Casey in now.
0: See on the West Coast? He is. I
2: believe he's in, or I'm not sure where he is exactly right this moment. Okay. And, you know, I did tell him it might be as late as, uh, oh, let's see, we... Casey. Casey. Yeah, hey. Hey, you've got Chris and, and Jeff. Hi, Casey. <laughs> hey, Chris and Jeff. Hey. Um, so we were talking about a couple of things before we brought you on. One, uh, I didn't mention this in the pre-call, but we had a, a long-time listener uh, email me this week and let me know that last
0: week's episode was the worst episode ever. That was the perfect sound effect. <laughs> the toilet. <laughs> we um, couldn't have timed that better, Casey. It was the worst episode yeah. ever last week, but... So, it, yeah, they 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 let us know. So, um,
2: so uh, you got smooth sailing. Yeah, you, you expectations yeah.
3: are
0: low, yeah. Casey. Let me just okay, say. Okay, good. That. Um, well,
3: but on the other hand, it's kind of like a challenge. Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe we could. Maybe can, it could be worse. Can we make like, it worse? Like, let's show this guy what bad is.
0: You think that was bad? Fuck you! Yeah. Hand me a shovel. <laughs> um,
2: so, um, and yeah, we just we did a brief introduction. Um, of you, uh, part of it is I, you know, without if, if anybody hadn't read the 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 um, the, uh, liner uh, the liner notes, the liner notes for the show that I put up, um, I, I didn't want to give away. Necessarily, but, I mean, you have a, a, a big story, and I didn't necessarily want to you know jump in and, and have you go right to the the big story of how how you ended up on this side of things and the recovery side of things, but um, I was wondering if you could, you know. Tell us about how you came to be a person in recovery. You know what were what what got you to this point? Back up. How did you, you know, what did your using career look like? How did it Um, start?
3: I started pretty young. I mean, I started. I I grew up in the northwest at a time when uh, heroin was really prevalent, Um, and I mean, I don't I don't think weed has ever not been prevalent in the Northwest, but you know, I grew up, I grew up when grunge was popular and yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
3: that sort of lifestyle was, uh, I mean, maybe not glorified, but at least among teenage kids, there was, sure. there's, there's something really alluring about that lifestyle. Yeah. So I tried a lot of different drugs really, really early on, you know, maybe like 11, 12, 13 years old, 14, I started to dabble in harder stuff. Uh, but by the time I was, 18 and headed to college, um, I had tried an inpatient rehab stint in, uh, here in, in Portland and that didn't take, <clears throat> and I sort of like, I got to college and I drank the way that college kids drink. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it just became, you know, really clear to me that I couldn't drink and use the way that my friends in college could. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I got sober pretty young. You know, I think my first, my first real shot at getting sober, I was twenty. Wow! And so, by the time I could go into bars, yeah. I was not drinking, hmm. which really takes a lot of the fun out of going into bars That's when you're twenty so years funny. old. Because,
0: so yeah. So, um, did you come from a line of alcoholics? Did you know that this was a, a possibility, or did you just find this out on your own?
3: I mean, I, I my, my mom's side of the family is Irish, so, mm-hmm. so it's there. It was. It was. It's implied. I think right. it, it's, it's, right. it's it's implied in the genes. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't something that we discussed a lot in my family. You know, I know that um, m- my dad had some struggles, but that was like I was young enough that a I was wrapped up in my own life, and b that's that was really between him and my mom at the time it was going on. So um, I haven't tackled that a ton yeah. with him because he's had some other health stuff come up in it, and it's just it's like it's not relevant at this point yeah. in our lives anymore. Sure. What what my dad did when I was younger. Um, but so I you know, I tried to get sober pretty young, and I gave it, I would say, a pretty good college try. Mm-hmm. Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just you know, when I started playing music, uh, and I was living in Bellingham, Washington at the time and playing music, and it was like you could not go anywhere without cocaine being in that room. And I had convinced myself that like, okay, maybe cocaine was a drug that I had not really ever tried. And so I thought, well, maybe this is the thing that I can handle. Yeah. And for, you know, from the time I was, geez, uh, you know, mid-20s until uh, until I was 33 and taken out of – 32, 33 and taken out of my own life. You know, like we, we'll get to that yeah. Yeah. in a second. But by, by the time I went away, um, I had been fighting – you know have had stints of sobriety stints of really 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 reckless and terrible addiction mm. and i just like couldn't keep i had one foot in either world at almost at all times yes. mm. you know to the point where i mean there were times when i would go to seven meetings a week or there were times mm. when you know like i was really dedicated to the to the recovery program i was working and then two months later you know i would go on mm. a a six or seven week bender and then come back and that's not totally Mm. irregular i mean that's you know people go out and Mm. they go out hard and then they come back in and they rededicate themselves but i juggled it a lot because i had made a lot of really good friends in the program and i didn't and i thought that if i said to them you know okay i'm in trouble and i'm not really hanging with this program that i would then lose those friends and the fact of the matter is anybody who i've talked to since coming back out and streaming together some pretty serious years of sobriety has said you know if you had come to me,
1: mm-hmm.
3: we could have done this together. But what mm-hmm. really hurts is that you didn't. And that, so most of the relationships that I damaged with friends from the sober community were not damaged by the fact that I committed a crime and subsequently went to prison. They were all, everybody to a one said, you know, like that's got nothing to do mm-hmm. with me. My concern is that you lied to me about being sober mm-hmm. a number of times and you, and you didn't come to me when you were in trouble.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. And I think, Living that dual, dual life of trying to go to meetings and then still go out and drink. And I did that for a couple of years. It's a miserable existence. Um, and I totally hear what you're saying that you didn't, for some reason, didn't want to disappoint people or be honest with them in the rooms. And for me, I, I felt that way. And the reason I never totally cut it off is because something told me I still needed to go to these meetings, even though I couldn't. I was going in and out, you know. There was something yeah. that just like, I'm like, just keep going to these meetings, even though I'm not doing this thing, and lying to everyone. I don't know. It's weird.
3: I uh, One of the last meetings that I went to in Seattle before, uh, before I got more or less kicked out of Seattle by my friends and family, yeah. uh, I went to a friend's meeting. I chaired a meeting, mm-hmm. and I was just like so full of... Arrogance and righteous indignation. My whole chair was like, "Look, you guys lean too heavy on this program. You lean too heavy on the God thing. Like you're not giving yourselves enough credit to go out there and get sober and stay sober." And, and then I bolted, and I and I lived with the friend who asked me to chair the meeting. And she came home and sh- she was like, "Are you sure that you're a sober guy? Like that's not." <laughs> like what
0: the fuck you, are know, you talking
3: about? Yeah, she was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Like Whoa. that's not how it's done." Have you chaired a meeting before? And I and I of course was like, "Yeah, I'm sober." Like this is such horseshit. And I wasn't, you know, like yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sober at the time, and I was hiding it from them. And that and I lived with two people who were sober, and and both of whom were really instrumental in not just in my being sober as a younger person, but also in a lot of the stuff that happened to me, um, m- with music. Yeah. You, they were they were both really instrumental in me having a lot of good opportunities in music and so when you know when they kicked me out of the house and and subsequently left Seattle I think both of them probably felt like oh okay I get it like you were never really committed to this your thing was that we, it was really advantageous to have us in your life so yeah. you strung us both along and they were both really hurt by that and rightfully so and that wasn't entirely the truth. Yeah. I mean like you know I cared and still care deeply about both of those sure. people.
1: Sure.
3: But I just was at a point where it was just like, no, you know, I I was not in a position to have that conversation with you guys. It was so much easier, I thought, to just bullshit everybody Mm -hmm. and then go out on tour, go off on my own and drink and use. And it's not, you know, in the long run, it wasn't any easier because all of those relationships got damaged.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, And, you know, like I said, people have been forgiving. But since I got out there, there are definitely friends who have said, like, listen, I'm so glad that you're healthy and I wish you the best, but I really need to keep you at arm's length for uh, a good amount of time before mm. I can believe that you're, yeah. you know, like, that you are really have your shit together.
0: It's funny, you because you obviously have I think, tremendous uh, charisma. Uh, I got People fell in love with this person you were, and just listening to the extremes that you went to, how you could be totally dedicated mm. to AA and then totally out on using and just there's wild things it's such an addictive you know it's like oh my god <laughs> yeah, you're such Yeah yeah an
3: <laughs> Yeah and it's like and I I was diagnosed when I so when I left Seattle and and the the last thing that that my really close friend Danny said to me was like this is addict behavior but there's another piece to this that is not right and not healthy Yeah And you need to, like, go see a doctor about this. And so I was diagnosed as type 1 bipolar as well. Mm, But that diagnosis is like, you know, when I was talking to the psychiatrist, she's like, well, have you ever stayed up for a bunch of days at a time? And I was like, yeah, but I don't like I was doing cocaine at the time. So I don't know. I couldn't tell you if it was like mania or if I just happened to have enough blow to get through a week that, you know what I mean? So some of the stuff, you know, when I look back now is was definitely, um mania that was exacerbated by drug use and some of it Mm -hmm. was like addict behavior that was exacerbated by being bipolar
0: right yeah wow oh my goodness well we'll get to how you're feeling now but yeah yeah, keep going i guess (laughs) yeah um so yeah what happens like what's this so they run you out of town uh, part
3: so so (laughs) they at that point i had Committed, but you're in a uh, band. Fraud. Like, you're,
0: are you in a? De- you're in like a good band at this point. You're in a band that's playing. Yeah, yeah. That's we known or
3: yeah. We I were know. in a. You know, it was me and the, the band was called Casey Anderson and the Honkies, okay. um, which was <laughs> taken from the Honkies was one of the names that Levon Helm wanted to call the band when they first started, and the other guys. Oh, you're kidding. They yeah, like, so No, we, we're we not were doing like, that. All right, well, yeah. But my guys were like, "That's great. That is great." Um. So yeah, we. I mean, I was. I had gotten to the point where we were doing pretty good, and I had. I, when we weren't busy as a band, I was busy with solo stuff or working on somebody else's record. Or I got a lot of really weird, cool opportunities from at that time, like being kind of popular on Twitter, mm-hmm. not just as a musician but as like a kind of a funny shithead.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> you're a writer. You're a creator. Yeah, your lips yeah, are so amazing. Yeah, so I got.
3: Yeah. I, oh, thank you. Yeah. I had so I had these like. <clears throat> You know, I got, I did comedy shows when I was in LA, oh, okay. but as, you know, like they would ask me to come play. So it would be a sketch and then two stand up comics. And then I, I would, you know, play like three bummer tunes and I would just have to be like, hey, I'm really sorry, guys. There's not like a big payoff punchline coming. This <laughs> this is the end of my set.
0: That's hilarious. The last
3: song was about a soldier with PTSD. Everybody'd <laughs> have a good night. Um, <laughs> Thank but you. But it, it opened up a lot of doors for me. Yeah. And I, you know, we were doing pretty well. And I was, I was, like, from a career standpoint, I was things were going really well. But I had committed this really, really like embarrassing and shameful act of fraud that started out with. I'll, I'll give you the short version. It started out with trying to raise money for the West Memphis Three, who were then still in prison, and <clears throat> unfortunately, like, I was the guy who was in charge of the money, and wow. I was not at a place where I should have been in charge of mm-hmm. my own money, let right. alone. A bunch of other people's money so co- in, in trying to cover that i did a bunch of illegal things and and at the time that my friends kicked me out of seattle they basically said like look i don't know how it's not public knowledge that you did this but it's definitely known to the people in law enforcement wow. and you're going to get in big trouble and so i came back to uh, my folks live you know around portland i came back home and at that point I just, like, I didn't know if I was going to go to prison, but I knew that nothing that I was doing was working. Yeah. So, and I had been to meetings before, and I liked, there's a place here in Portland that's really great, and I liked that place because I had lived near there before and been to meetings there before, Mm -hmm. so I thought, well, I'll just go back to this place, and I'll see if I can string some time together. Mm -hmm. And I did, and I put. I had uh, a little over a year before finally... You know, everything caught up with me, and I went before a judge, and they, and they put me in prison. Mm-hmm. And at that point, <clears throat> it was just I was just like, I mean, I struggled, but I had gotten to a point where I knew. You know, it's not like they don't show up at your door and you're in prison the next right. day. I had I had a lawyer, and they, mm-hmm. I knew this was coming. I knew I was going to be sentenced.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and my family had, you know, they obviously they were not thrilled, but they my family is so great, and they've been so supportive. Oh, that's good. And um, you know, like I have had so many extra lives mm-hmm. with them that yeah. I shouldn't have had. And so they all just, you know, but my mom essentially said, like, look, if you could do this and you can get through this and you can come out the other end, then you can rededicate your life to being sober and healthy. And if you can't get through this and you come out of prison and you go right back into everything that got you here in the first place, you can't, like, I can't have you in my
0: home. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: Because
0: it it had gotten to the point. Go ahead. The fraud was, was it something, it just kind of got started. There was no intention. It's not like you're some con man with this master plan of whatever, it's just like this thing happened and then it just gets out. It spins out of control because of the addiction.
3: Yeah, that's, okay. I mean, yes, that's, that's the fact of the matter. It's really, I haven't read a ton of the press about it. Yeah. Um, I get the impression that most of the things that were written at that time definitely took the angle that I had concocted this whole thing to scam a bunch of people out of much money gotcha. and that's not, right. that's not the case. It did okay. start in earnest with a lot of planning between myself and a couple other people and when it got to the point that we then had a good amount of money to put into this project, that's when I like started spending the money and started covering my ass. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, it's all gone. So now yeah. I have to figure out how to raise X amount of dollars, and there's no way I'm going to do that right. in a short amount of time. So yeah, it was not a thing where I thought, like, oh, here's a good way to bilk people out of money. Right. right. You know, that it was not that. But but once. There were so many opportunities where I could have said – the same thing as using. There were so many opportunities where I could have said to any of my close friends, like, look, I'm in so far over my head on this thing. I fucked up so bad. And probably, like, if nothing else, someone would have said, well, you know, I can't give you all the money, but Jesus, dude, I can help you out. Yeah. You know, or I can try and, like – or even, you know, if I had said – even to probably the people who gave money, if I had said, you guys listen.
0: Yeah, here's what's happened.
3: Here's what's happened – I'm I'm going to do the best I can Mm -hmm. to get this back to you or to get this thing back on the ground. I I have to imagine that those people wouldn't. They probably wouldn't have been happy, but they wouldn't have been as angry as they were when they figured out, like, oh, you just have been bullshitting me for a year and a half and doing, you know, like running around making records, going on tour. So, 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 yeah, it's. I mean, this was like the Seattle
2: music scene predominantly that you were.
3: Yeah, because those guys in the Ponkies band were all plugged in, you know, to that scene. and, And the guy that I lived with, Danny, was really really you know had been a fixture in seattle for a very long time mm-hmm. and tour managed a bunch of artists who mm-hmm. you know were not necessarily from seattle but a yeah. bunch of artists who, who people knew mm-hmm. um and so i sort of got like almost grandfathered into that scene mm-hmm. and and if you know that like those people are really welcoming and they were so generous right. to me and danny especially and everybody that he put me in touch with from the time yeah i met him when i was like 21 years old mm-hmm. Um, so anybody that he put me in touch with, they were so generous, but that by the same token, and I know that like most people in recovery have seen this is that the more generous somebody is, the more betrayed they feel Mm -hmm. when they're like, Oh, the whole thing was smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. And you're actually kind of just an asshole. Like you're not a great, (laughs) this great kid who somehow has his head on his, you know, a great head on his shoulders. You're kind of a piece of shit.
0: Yeah. So you, you were, you, and a lot of this, this, your addiction was going on this whole time. And did anyone know that or were you hiding that and all of the money things?
3: Uh, I was hiding it from the people that I felt I needed to hide it from. Mm -hmm. So there were people who, when we would go out on the road, people would see me drink or use and they would just know like, okay, well, Casey doesn't talk about this to Mm -hmm. this group of people. So I'm not going to talk about this to this group of people and music the music business is a business that is not like real heavy on accountability to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: It's, it's an enabling so, kind of business if you're out it, it's, on the road. I'm it sure. can be. Yeah. yeah, it really can be. I mean,
3: there, you know, there are definitely people you can surround yourself with people who will hold you accountable, but if you yeah. choose not to do that, it's easy to find people who like everybody has their sure. own shit to deal with. And nobody, like nobody's yeah. really interested in tattling on you. If you decide you're right. going to drink or do blow right. while you're out on the road. Right. Um, so, I yeah, I, I like I said, I kind of had one foot in each world where yeah. some people knew that I drank and used, and some people didn't, and they didn't really ever converge until the very end when everyone in Seattle started started going like, oh, I had kind of a weird experience with him, too.
1: Mm.
3: And then, mm-hmm. you know, it got to the point where everybody was like, oh, okay, well, then he's, like, lied to everybody about one thing or another.
0: Wow. And then it just became this urban legend or something, right? And the whole town's out to lynch you.
3: <laughs> I don't know if they weren't to lynch They definitely were not super interested in me being in that music scene anymore. Interesting. Um, so I like, I kind of felt it coming and, preemptively sent an email to the guys in my band. And they at the at the time they all knew what was going on with me and none of them had taken me aside yet because they didn't feel like it was time for that yet. Wow. For whatever reason. So I sent off an email that just said like, look, this band thing isn't working. I'm gonna do solo stuff and I'm gonna work on other people's records. And they were all like, Okay, dude. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's fine. Do whatever you gotta do. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I, you know, like I tried to sort of extricate myself from that before anything caught up with me, but like literally twenty four hours later, I had finished working on a session for a singer in Seattle, and I w- went out to a bar and I ran into two guys, and they were both like, "Hey, man, I've heard some kind of fucked up stuff about you wow. lately." And neither one of them they were like, "I don't really want to get into it, but just so that you know, yeah, people know who you are. You know, like, like it yeah. was that kind of cryptic yeah. thing that seems like it belongs mostly in TVs and movies. and like, why wouldn't someone just say, "Hey, did you really take?" Yeah. A shitload of money from people, or, yeah.
1: um,
3: so you know, and then the next day, like everybody kind of, the, everybody got to have their say, and and Danny said, you know, I really think that you should go get, like, checked out for something a little bit more complicated than addiction, mm-hmm. if there is such a thing. Yeah. Um,
2: well, certainly and, and, co-occurring disorders. I mean, are sort of part and parcel of
0: yeah what we all. Without
2: a doubt, yeah, addiction goes usually goes hand in hand with something else going on.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like if if you're in the room, so you don't see too many people who who wouldn't also meet the cri- criteria yeah. for some sort of mental illness.
0: Yeah. yeah. So when did the when did the shit hit the fan, or when did you personally realize the jig was up and felt it?
3: So I October 24th I left Seattle. October 24th of 2012, I left Seattle. And came that night, called my folks and said, "Look, I'm in a bunch of trouble. I'm going to talk to you about it when I get home." Came back to Portland, went to a meeting that night, <clears throat> uh, met the guy who would be my sponsor early on, mm-hmm. and then and so that's you know I keep that as my sobriety date. <clears throat> and then from there, it was really you know it. I didn't go. I didn't actually go to prison until. December of 2013 so in the interim I was like trying to get sober but also trying to explain to my parents and friends what was going on and then also like kind of started seeing this girl in Los Angeles who didn't really know what was going on so that became pretty complicated pretty quick yeah um
0: did did you feel like like, that that was like a little uh, jump at a love addiction or something, trying to grasp onto something, or
3: I I honestly thought that because at the, at the beginning, yeah, the discussion, you know, my lawyers had said, well, like the best we can hope for is that maybe we can just get you like a long probationary period and you won't have to serve you jail time. Right, so right. of course. I my thinking was, oh, great. I'm never going to prison then. I'm just going to be on probation so I can go do what I want. So then I was like, oh, well, let's just get to the business of leading a normal life.
0: Right. Let's jump. Yeah. You know, like, let's okay. – yeah. I'll
3: be sober. I'll get this girlfriend who mm-hmm. lives in another place that I don't even live, and everything will be fine. Yeah. And obviously it was not and everything – you know, like, I held on to my sobriety, but everything else yeah. fell apart. Yeah. Because it was – like, even that relationship was kind of just based on, like – both of us having an idea of the other person that was nowhere near the reality mm-hmm. yeah, of the other yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Which which I think happens to a lot of people in, and, and is maybe one of the reasons why they say, like, oh, maybe dating should not be on your radar when you right. first get right. sober because you have some bigger fish to fry. Yes. Um, so that, you know, I, like, I kind of put that girl and that group of friends through... I well, I mean I put them through a lot, you know, like because they found out the hard way what was going on with me and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. like one day their friend was there and the next day I was like, "Oh, I got I have to go. I'm going to go to prison tomorrow." <laughs> got to go. <laughs> um, Later. But you know, but like out of that came the relationship that I have now that I've had for several years with my fiance. Mm-hmm. So it it was like there are there are definitely times when those of us who are still in touch from that group or like, did that all that really happen? Wow. Like, did all did all that shit really go on, and or did or have Kate and I just been together this entire time? But it's it's not like when I left Los Angeles, my girlfriend at the time, Tracy, called my fiance now, who was just a friend at the time, and yeah. said like, I don't want anything of his in the apartment. Like, I cannot believe that he's gone. I, I want everything of his gone from the apartment. So Kate took everything I own to the Goodwill in Los Feliz. And now hears about it every time we go by so she's like, "Oh, that's a cool guitar and I'm like, yeah, I had that um, It is really cool. It I is, did have that at one point It's awesome.
0: Yeah yeah. Oh my gosh. that's crazy. So you come you come back from LA and go to jail. and then I came in, back to, in jail. Yeah. Does your head get on straight and you're like, holy shit, this is what's happened." Like do you feel it at that Yeah,
3: point? but even that – I mean the first – so the first place that I went was a federal detention center
0: because mm-hmm. I was being held before my hearing,
3: <clears throat> my full sentencing hearing. And in a federal detention center, at least in the one I was at, you are in the unit 24 hours a day. You don't go out. There's no outside rec. Hmm. There's no wow. – there are not really windows. There's like a tiny little window in your cell that's uh, fogged over. The explanation I was given is because to look at the outside was too depressing and they had, like, had a rash of suicides or something. Oh, but wow. to me, it was more depressing to have this weird, hazy, mm-hmm. like, almost dreamlike
1: yeah.
3: vision of of what outside looked like. So in there, I spent a year there, and, and spending a year in that situation was not especially healthy. No. But... I was also in contact with my family and I was in contact with a couple friends. and you know my mom, my mom and dad both just said, like, look, if you get through this, you can come out the other side and your life is going to be a whole lot better than it ever was. So yeah. like this is your chance to make the choice about what you want your life to be like. And it's really shitty that you're in in the position you're in, but this is probably your last chance to really make that choice, yeah, yeah, about which direction your life is going to go and that, you know, if nothing else, that stuck with me. And I had a judge at my sentencing who said uh, – Judge Ronald Layton out of uh, – I was sentenced in Tacoma for some reason that I don't understand. But but he's, he said, you know, listen, I, I have a close family friend who suffers from bipolar disorder and addiction, and her life has been hell. And I want to tell you that I understand that a lot of the things you did were informed by – this comorbid disorder that you have. Mm-hmm. I also need you to understand that you are responsible for what you do in the world. Mm-hmm. And I can't in good conscience let you out of this courtroom without sending you to prison because you have done harm to people, you know, financial harm to people. Mm-hmm. And I can't let that go, but I want you to know that your diagnosis does not have to be a death sentence. And mm-hmm. that stuck with me yeah. really, really, you know, like I, I still think about that almost every mm-hmm. day. So <clears throat> I just got to a place where, I mean, the one the one thing that I'll say about prison is that when you are completely removed from your entire life, there is absolutely nothing that can distract you from putting together a solid program for yourself if that's what you decide Mm -hmm, to do. So, you know, like I read a lot, I spent a lot of time about myself. I didn't get involved in any of the like shenanigans that happened in prison. Mm -hmm. I just like kind of said about, to trying to build a foundation for what would happen when I got out.
0: Gotcha. And when was that?
3: I it'll be almost two years. I was released October thirteenth of two thousand fifteen. Mm-hmm. So I was sentenced to
0: forty-six.
3: I want to say forty-six months. Okay. Um, and
0: <clears throat> you did the your way time that and did good. Is, I did hey, my
3: time, and I also, you know, I got time off for. I, there is uh, both the federal and state systems offer a sort of like nine month really intensive rehab,
1: okay, mm-hmm. and
3: and uh, you know like rehabilitation program that I, it, if you complete satisfactorily, then you get time chopped off your sentence. Mm. So I got that time knocked off my sentence. I got my good time, and then I spent six months directly after my release in a halfway house, which is like marginally better than being in prison there were nights where i was like i actually would not have minded just waiting in line to eat shitty chicken and going back to my cell um but in the halfway house well, yeah, because yeah, no, when, I I yeah. when you're in yeah, the halfway house, yeah. it's like you're so close to the things that you could be doing, oh, but right. you really can't do any of them. You know, like yeah, yeah. My my folks are right it's there. Like my girlfriend's right there. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's totally <laughs> like purgatory. And there was I was like, you know what? I was almost better off when I it was just me and yeah. my bunkie, yeah. and we would bullshit until we both fell asleep. But now it's like me in a room full of forty snoring, farting right, dudes. Right, yeah.
2: yeah. Hey, so <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of talk about the way mental health gets. Addressed if at all in prison, um, and so you had this judge that was aware of your your diagnosis, and I, I don't know what you were doing to address it before, but when you were in prison for that time, was was there were there any resources at all? Was there any way to work on that aspect at all?
3: Um, well, there they do disperse your medication. They do okay. So there's somebody who handles your medication. There is uh let me think there are res- there are resources available but like everything else in prison mm-hmm. they are spread so thin
0: right.
3: that it's really ho- like you can get emergency care if you need it okay but if i said you know like hey i kind of think that i'm feeling a little manic it would be cool to talk to the psych yeah then they would be like well have you do you like are you having suicidal thoughts are you you know like this is this happening it's like no i just know how i get you know, like I can mm. feel it kind of coming on. They're like, "Well, you know, drink some water, walk a couple laps, see how you feel, and check back with us." Mm-hmm. Um, so it's they. I hesitate because I still am on probation to say oh. to go too sure. far into okay. detail. Yeah, 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 that's. But but like I'll I'll say that they are restricted by the amount of resources mm. that they can make available, which are not very many, and mm. it's not. It's definitely not a system that is geared toward recognizing and treating mental health issues. Right. It's a system that is geared toward trying to correct behavior in mass, mm-hmm. trying to correct the behavior of however many thousands or millions of people with the same program. Because you can't individualize a program
1: right.
3: in that situation, right? You can't because mm-hmm. when one guy gets a thing that the other guy doesn't get, all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. I mean, to like, you know, the, pe- the guys who... Uh, The Seventh Day of Venice ate different food, and that was, like, that in itself was drama because they got food that wasn't necessarily handled Mm -hmm. by hands or whatever. So when you start seeing people, you know, once people get special treatment, then the perception among the inmates is, well, this person is, like, granting some sort of favor to the administration to get this treatment, Mm -hmm. or this person thinks they're better than me, and that's, like, the last thing that you want to deal with. So... Mm -hmm it's a really difficult balance to strike and they were good about medication and they were good about, they were really good about monitoring lithium levels. Mm. In fact, they were more rigid about that than I have been just with my doctor outside.
1: Yeah.
3: So they do like, they definitely do want to keep everybody alive. I'll say say that. They definitely want everybody to stay alive. But beyond that, it's like they just can't tailor that program to people. That's, that's one of the biggest flaws with that system is that, Everybody's incarcerated for a different thing, for a different reason, with a different background. So to try and treat that with groupthink is like so impossible mm-hmm. to do. And, you know, you see inmates struggle with it. And you also see the like their administrators and officers who you could see were frustrated, but they also are like, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I can't like, my hands are tied too. you know what I mean? Like I had a lot of conversations with especially within that rehabilitation program with the counselors, some of whom came from a counseling background and some of whom came from a corrective background, Mm -hmm. you know, who just said like, well, I was an officer at this other prison, but I'm really interested in working with addicts. So they go through a certification program through the the u.s Mm -hmm. and they you know and they're all really empathetic and they do really seem to care about the people that they're treating but they all you know anytime that i said well this what about this or what about this or what about this it was like listen i don't make the curriculum like i i just have to deliver this message to you and you can take it or not take it but if you want to get through this program this is what you have to do
1: okay
2: got it and and uh and so when you were in there as far as uh were there were there like 12-step meetings?
3: There are at a lot of prisons. There were not at – there mm. were at the first place I was. At the detention center in SeaTac, there were 12-step meetings mm. that people would bring in from outside. And the second right. place I went was the camp at Sheridan, which we got caught in this weird thing where they would say – like, a couple of us said – you know, like this This drug program is great, but it would really be great to supplement that with some meetings. Mm-hmm. Can we start a group? <clears throat> and everybody that we talked to said, Yeah, that would be great, but this is, is that like we think that you have to go through the chapel. And so we would talk to the chaplain and he would be like, Yeah, I don't think that's my lookout because it's not really a religious program. So you've got to go through the psych. And the psych guy would be like, Yeah, it's not really like we don't do that. We can't really set up those groups for you. You have to go. So we bounced back and forth. That's crazy. Until people until we just started meeting, uh, you know, like we just got groups of people together and yeah, said like, look, yeah. but even that you have to be careful about, because if a group of people are meeting in a prison, the perception, the immediate perception of the officer on duty is not. Oh, these guys are getting together to talk about sobriety. <laughs> yeah,
1: you
3: know, yeah. like, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like, hey, fellows, what's like, is there something important going on? And everybody's like, no, no, we just like this is our little group. that we get together and talk and hatch a
0: plan to escape from your prison yeah yeah
3: yeah, i mean more or less like they really have to be on the lookout for (laughs) that stuff so that's another one of those things where it's really hard to like i mean you can say to an officer like look i know what this looks like but this isn't it but also like we're not tunneling yeah. we're not like i'm not trying to get food delivered later tonight from over the fence right. i just w- <laughs> want to like study this book with my friends and talk to them mm. about their sobriety and then they, they kind of were like ah, oh, okay yeah but
0: That's people were
3: you know like the, the the people in a position of authority were wary yeah. and i guess i guess rightfully so because i mean they're they're operating on yeah you know the, they're operating on, they on they everyone's full of shit and yeah yeah, they, and they have to operate on that assumption yeah. because a lot of people are full and there are a lot of people trying to get away totally. with whatever they can get away with while they're in there. Absolutely. And so it's it's weird. It's definitely a strange thing to be in the position of like, okay, I'm a prisoner here and I identify with the other prisoners here and there is like this weird fraternity that exists between us and yes – Like, we take responsibility for what we did, but also it's really shitty to be here. And so there is an us versus them mentality because Mm -hmm. those are the people who tell us when to go to bed. Those are the people who tell us it's time to line up to eat. And that's not like that doesn't feel good to a group of grown men.
0: True. True that.
3: But on the other hand, you see people like pushing things further than they can get away with. And it's like, dude, okay, now none of us can use the phones or computers for a month. Right. Is it really that important to you? Yeah. To do, you know, I like, to, like, to get away with whatever you can get away with. Yeah. Can you just? We're already in prison. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, <laughs> you—if you were good at getting away with shit, you would not be here with us.
0: That's so funny.
3: Clearly, this is not your thing. Yeah. Let's, why don't we so,
0: just like yeah, level tone it out down. for a while? Yeah. So, did you play music the whole time, and when? And when did you get that back, or because or, you you're playing again? So yeah, what yeah, was that journey yeah.
3: like? So. At the at the first place there was no there were no instruments. At Sheridan there was a music room and there was like a uh, music program that was run by a couple of guys <clears throat> a couple of inmates um who were both very very good players <clears throat> and I started out by just like kind of fucking around on guitar by myself and then um there was of all things there was a Steely Dan cover band that was That's like great. Whoa! Shit hot. That's They awesome. were Crazy. so good. That's so
0: <laughs> they cool. were
3: so good. Wow. Um, and I kind of like just from watching, going to their practices yeah. and watching them, I kind of fell in with those guys. And I was like, yeah, I play a little bit. Um, and so I, you know, we ended up playing together, and it was a lot of fun. And that was really. I for sure when I went to prison, I thought, okay, well that's the this is the end of my life as a person who records and performs music yep. in any capacity. Wow. From now on, if I play guitar, it'll be in my home, in my apartment, playing mm-hmm. you know like some cover song that that is really easy and like really comforting to so play. You thought,
0: thought it was over and, for you.
3: I for sure thought that I thought first of all, I thought like that's a, you know like the where it was when I got in trouble is as good as it's going to be for me. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to get back to that level and and also like it's and i still feel this way and have expressed this to uh, to friends you know who to guys who are professional musicians like it's it's really i feel like it's asking so much of people for me to put out a record and be like listen i know what happened and yes like all of that shit is true yeah. but that's not who i am right now and these songs are songs that really really are worth listening to like that to me is yeah. a really really difficult thing to ask of people after you've done what i, what I did mm-hmm. <clears throat> um so i struggled with it a lot you know and and i had fun and wrote some songs while i was in mm-hmm. and when i got out i still thought well i'll like we'll see we'll see what happens you know i'll play some shows around portland and we'll see what happens and when i would have friends come through town on tour i would say the thing that i just said like i don't know i really think it's asking a lot and like all of them just said, like, listen, dude, you're not good at anything else. You know
0: what I mean? Like, <laughs> like this is kind of it for you, bro.
3: <laughs> this is kind of it for you. Um, and and it's not – I'm at the point now where I am uh, – on Friday, I start a certification program to be a peer wellness counselor for okay, addiction, so. addiction and mental health specialists. So that is, like, in terms of, like, career stuff – that's something that i'm focused on but i also have had the opportunity to play some shows and to record music with guys here in a situation that's very different from what it's been in the past Mm. i mean every we're we're all working for free and we're all working when we have time but things have come along to the point where i really do like i was listening to some rough mixes today and and i know that there's no way to say this without sounding arrogant but it was like these are these songs are really good people should hear these songs Um,
0: and are they about, and are I, about your journey? Are they, are, is the topics change? Is the creativity different?
3: It's definitely different. Some of them, I, I was not a person who wrote a lot of like first-person autobiographical songs. Uh-huh. I have I, The Nowhere Nights record is a lot of that. But other than that, I, I tried to write stories for the mm-hmm. most part this record is a lot of first person stuff and it's and i felt like there was no way that i could put out a record and not at least on a couple of songs directly address yeah. the last 10 or so years of my life so that stuff is on there but there's also i mean i got out in i got out in october 2015 and a year later like we were staring down the barrel of our current president
1: Aye.
3: and it's a really really strange thing to be released from captivity into a world that is supposed to be like the very definition of freedom and start to see all of that stuff recede Mm. in real time right in front of you so there's a lot of stuff about that on there Mm. um it's i'd say it's a mix i mean there's there's some stuff that's that's rhetorical and is and is grounded in you know what has happened the last year or Mm -hmm. so and there's there's a lot of stuff that's autobiographical and is grounded in everything that led me up to Getting in trouble and then and things that have happened
0: since. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on putting that out because that's. Oh, huge. thanks, man. Yeah, the music's great, really. Yeah.
3: Thank exciting. you. Yeah, I, I really am. Like, I don't know. You know, the record will be out sometime next year, and I haven't made, but I haven't said anything really publicly about it. But mm-hmm. I, I um, if if I'm able to keep taking off days, then you know, when October twenty fourth comes around, if I'm fortunate enough to have five years at that point, then I think that that to me feels like a good time to make a decision about like what's going to happen with this record
0: that's fantastic. That's cool
3: So uh, they say yeah. that
0: they say you don't really trust anyone until they got five years that's what we say at our meeting We're like oh, that guy not even have five years he can't even drive don't even let him drive don't let him get the coffee he'll fuck it up yeah <laughs> um, that's awesome
2: well that's exciting I was just, actually was going to your site I was looking at, at shows and uh, uh, to say one um, we have a lot of friends of the show in Portland and actually that's how I was turned on to by a friend of the show that wrote me an email, said you guys should really get Casey Anderson on. Oh, and, cool! Um, yeah, uh, so uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you know my story, but I, yeah. I'm I'm outside of AA, outside of the rooms, right. so I'm always yeah. c- cautious about who I get to say. So I won't tell you who, but but anyway, somebody that knows you said you should get Casey Anderson on. Um, Well, that's really cool. And we do have lots of friends of the show in in Portland. Because you're from that area, Chris. Well, I I grew up outside of Olympia, Washington, and then I spent um,
3: a number of years in Seattle. Um, But yeah, I grew up in Rainier, Washington. Uh, and we got we sound like we must be I'm I'm in my late 30s. We must be pretty close in age.
2: Uh, I'm in my give or take first 50. <laughs> I'm I'm 50.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, well so then you would have been a little older when all of that like when the when the Nirvana when the Mother Love Bone and Nirvana thing was happening there was you must have been I was there. There must have been a ton yeah. of heroin going oh, through. Yeah, I
2: have where no idea how I dodged that. I really don't. I was doing everything <laughs> else. I was doing everything else. And uh but I I have no idea why I, why you never found some? Well, I never picked that up? I, to this yeah. day, like it, it sort of boggles me because it's exactly the period when I was there. Um, yeah, not like I was best friends, but I was like, you know, I crashed on the Posies' couch a couple times and um, knew uh, Sky Cries Mary. I don't know if you know any of those guys, but that's like,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, the guy who played drums in the in my band, the Honkies, was yeah. Mike Musburger, who was in the Posies oh. for a long time and played he oh, right. drums on the Frosting on the Beater record.
2: Oh right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. No, so that's crazy. I mean, it was that kind of, you know, scene and yeah, I was there when I got to see, you know, Mother Love Bone God rest his soul.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: but uh Yeah, so what, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so no, I was looking for shows and I was going to say if you, if you make it to St. Louis, be sure to let us know. Yeah. Um it, you, I
3: will. You guys, I really love uh we played Off Broadway, which is a really great place, oh, right. great yeah. club. And then we played. Uh, okay, there's the place that Chuck Berry like plays. Yeah, uh, every Blueberry now and then. Hill. In Blueberry you, Hill. Yeah. yeah, Blueberry Hill. You go downstairs. Mm-hmm. The Duck Room. Whatever yeah. room. The Duck Room. Yeah, yeah we, it's a great we played place. there for uh, for Twang Fest, which happened. I hope it's still going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, yeah, yeah, I really like St. Louis.
0: Yeah, Twang Fest is uh, October. Comes in October. It's coming up. And I'm sure St. Louis has got to love you. I mean, yeah. you're 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 right in our wheelhouse yeah. of bands we like. Yeah. It's it, it was your sound yeah, is right yeah. there baby yeah
3: it was uh we love was, that yeah shit. we had those little <laughs> pockets of st louis was one of those places yeah. where it was like oh we really people here get it and yeah like they really dig like off broadway was packed when we played and it was only the second time we'd ever played st louis
1: yeah uh it was that. just
3: such a fun show too because people like i don't know what it is about people in that part of the world but they really have fun in a different way than people from the Northwest. Like, yeah. they really, really like the weekend is the weekend to people right. in St. Louis.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I think it's because uh, we're, we're where uh, the weekends are made for Michelob was coined. So, That's right. You know, it's like a, a beer town and a weekend town. Yeah. And, God
3: Yeah. Damn it. yeah, yeah. Which, now, looking back, though, you're like, oh, the weekends were made for Michelob? Right, or? exactly. <laughs> yeah. God, come, yeah.
0: So I, I want to hear just to kind of give this a little you know closure when you have you done some amends to this this uh, long list of people have you gotten to that point i have
3: i have i actually um that i those started while i was in prison to the degree that they could sure. and they continued as soon as i got up and and they're you know they're they're different kinds of amends i mean there's yeah. there's people who were victimized by me financially who that has to be a living amends. That person does not want to hear from me and they really don't give a shit why their money got spent. Mm -hmm. It got spent and I went to prison and that was like to them, that was the amends. Yeah. I went to prison. Yeah. Um, Other people, you know, I've had, like I said, I've had a lot of sober friends that I've reached out to and said like, look, I, you know, I was very dishonest with you for a long time and some of them have been really accepting and others of them have said,
0: like I I said, you know, like I,
3: I, yeah, I love you and I really am glad that you're healthy, but I, I need to have a little distance, you know, and I, I hope that we can pick up sometime down the road. So that has been, I expected it to be a really, really, um, I expected it to be met with a lot more resistance than I was with people.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and especially I really thought like, Oh my God, you know, people in the music business are not going to want to hear from me. And, and anybody, almost anybody that I've reached out to, has said, you know, like, hey, you didn't do anything to me personally. Like, it's fucked up what you did, but it, it didn't have anything to do with me. I'm glad that you're out. I'm glad that you're healthy. Like, please stay healthy and sober because yeah. you're not a lot of fun to be around when you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is the opposite of what you think when you're right. using. Like, I thought, oh, I thought it was the most fun to be yeah. around. What are you talking about? Um, that was
0: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Turns but, out you weren't.
3: So, so it's, been, it's been some... Uh, it's been some mixed results. I, you know, like the the one of the nicest things that has happened is I'm re- I pretty soon I will be filing a motion to have my probation terminated. I've been on probation for 18 months. My mm-hmm. probationary sentence is three years. <clears throat> but you you can ask at some point along the road. You can go before the judge and say, look, you know, I I haven't fucked up. I'm doing everything I need to do. I pay my restitution. I'll continue to pay my restitution. I give you clean samples every time I'm drug tested. I'm going to continue. You know, I'm going to continue to stay sober. <clears throat> and so I, you know, I wrote the judge this letter that, that basically just said, you know, like my life now is not motivated. I don't pay restitution or give clean drug tests because I'm worried about what would happen if I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I do those things because they're the next right thing for me to do that day, and they're going to continue to be. And if they aren't, then I won't have to worry about prison because I'll be dead. Right. So, <clears throat> and, and one of the people who wrote a letter on my behalf was one of the people who was victimized by me. Mm -hmm. So that was like a really huge huge. for me to have that conversation and have her say like, no, no, you know, I want to write on your behalf because I really like you're such a different person Mm -hmm. than you were when when I had these experiences with you was was a really like rewarding moment and conversation for me to have.
0: Do do you feel transformed? (laughs) Do Do you have that perspective now where you look back and think that was a totally different person?
3: Uh, I, tr- I try to stay away from that because it, it wasn't because yeah. it, like I, in order to take ownership of those things, I feel like if I put that sort of distance between myself and doing those things, then I give myself Interesting. I a, an that. extra out. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so um, what I do honestly feel like is is that my mom used to always say like, you know, you're a really good guy with a really good heart, and I don't know why you're so intent on covering that up and keeping that from people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I feel like like that the layer and the layers that I put between myself and connecting to other people, and between myself and being that person that I think every mother sees that. You mm-hmm, know, I, I right. hope every mother sees that in her child. <clears throat> I feel like I'm able, I like can now say, oh, you know, my mom was right. I'm a pretty like I yeah. do the right thing the majority of the time, you know, like, and, and my, and I'm not motivated by anything other than, Oh, this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is what, and which is why it's, it's been such a struggle for me to decide whether or not to put out this record because it, it, you know, like until it feels like, okay, this is the right thing to Mm -hmm. do for me right now, then I can't make that decision. And it's getting closer to feeling that way. So, you know, I I feel like that's something that's going to happen, but Mm. I, I do feel like I'm a much I'm in a much better place and it's it's I mean it takes you know they say it takes what it takes and it took yeah. me a long time to get here and I'm really really grateful to like everybody that I've come into contact with whether they're sober or not whether they're you know whether they work a program or not who has like given me so much grace and been so supportive mm-hmm. and I you know I, I, I for sure would have wound up dead were it not for my family or my fiance or, you know, a bunch of my friends. I just Mm -hmm. don't, I, I know that I could not have done it myself. And I know that as terrible as it was to be in prison, the only way that I ever would have gotten that message was to be completely removed Mm -hmm. from any other distraction and just have to look at like, well, here, you know, you're 34 years old and this is what your life is. Is this where you want it to be?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, well, good job, man! Congratulations! Thank yeah. you, man. No, it's So Glad you're here, and yeah.
2: uh, glad, thanks for coming on, man. It was, uh, it was oh, terrific! My pleasure. You me.
3: guys, yeah, you guys are doing a great thing, and I will continue listening even after this episode.
2: Well, oh, okay. I appreciate it. Well,
3: yeah, I, I, which think, I do want to say one thing really ahead. quick. Yeah, yeah, please. When the toilet flushed, it was a Kleenex. I was not going to the bathroom <laughs> when I took the call. I've I just seen- want to make that clear to you.
2: <laughs> I, I'm so glad you waited till the end to disclose that. That's, yeah. that's fantastic.
3: Yeah. Um, well, I hope that we kept the guy who thought the last show was so terrible hanging until that moment. Exactly. So that I now he, there's some payoff for that's him. That's
2: good podcast. That is. Um, I nice said Casey. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, what do you want people to find you? What do you want them to do? Where do you want them to go?
3: Um, well, they can if they want to hear music stuff. It's Casey Anderson music.com which is k-a-s-e-y-a-n-d-e-r-s-o-n-m-u-s-i-c.com um and otherwise i mean if they're not interested in music then there's any number of organizations that people can get involved in that are some are related to set programs and some are not where that you know like if where they can do the next right thing
0: oh for them so so
3: you know people i would just encourage them to do that we're at a time where i think Sooner or later, people are going to have to figure out that, especially in our immediate communities, we all have to have each other's back, mm-hmm. whether we agree or not, because I don't think anybody who is in charge of this country right now gives a shit about any of us, no matter what our politics are.
0: All right. Thanks for I think that. we can get Basically, on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do,
2: yeah. That's funny. We struggle mightily to remain ap- apolitical, although we yeah. kind of had a pretty political We've episode. We've had some political yeah. episodes, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I...
0: We'll, I it's tough not to, man. I, I was, you know, it's really hard
3: not to. Right. And, and I for sure immediately fall. And I, I know that we're like you're closing on out of time. I'll just oh, say no, that. No, that no, we're good. He, Take
1: your
3: time. Oh, okay. Um, I I was a person who immediately following the election said like, well, now hold on, the people, millions of people voted for this guy. Mm-hmm. They can't all be horrible. And he really like he is insistent on testing that. Mm-hmm, like yeah. I am a person who. Wants, I to like just give me one redeeming thing to humanize yourself, dude, and I will like I will run with that as much as I can because you want to believe mm-hmm. that there's some part of this person who has anything other than himself in mind. But it's, I mean, we're nine months in and it hasn't happened yet, but there's still plenty of time left, so hopefully, some redeeming thing happens.
2: Oh, well, we hope so.
3: Well, and specifically as it dude. relates
2: to what we're going through, um, you know, one of the larger maybe the largest advocacy group, certainly the best known face. Well, I won't even name them. Um, they were sort of having that, Hey, let's work with this guy sort of attitude and would frustrate me to no end because the previous administration was doing so much good in regards to, um, addiction, specifically the opioid and heroin epidemic. Um, you know, all his people from the uh, surgeon general to, uh, Michael Botticelli, the quote unquote drug. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but, and the president the previous president, and then this new administration Has only paid lip service and has yet to, you know, declare the opioid um, crisis a national emergency.
3: I Um, was going to say that he he said this president said on August tenth he would declare the opioid crisis a national emergency. We are now almost through with September, and he spent the last week rage tweeting about the NFL.
0: Sounds so So, crazy. Yeah, I think, I think just, the only good thing, thing, the redeeming quality may be that he's so bad, he's going to exacerbate us hitting a bottom just like an attic would <laughs> with race, drugs, and climate change. <laughs> he's raising the bottom. He's course. he's Yeah, it's, he's making yeah. us hit the bottom where we have to do something desperate to yeah. get sober from all of this. You heard it here first. Well, and
3: I, I think that, I mean, I, th- I really think that that's where people are going to have to learn that. You have to. We're going to have to pick our battles pretty carefully, and we're right. going to have to do so in our communities where we can impact, have the biggest and most far-reaching impact. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we can't. I honestly could not care less what he thinks about the NFL, and neither should anyone else. And there's no reason that should be something that the entire country talks about for a day, let alone a week. Yeah. There is so there are so many other things happening right now that that shouldn't. I mean, like he. I'll say this about him. He successfully managed to take a form of nonviolent protest about violence against Mm African-Americans and turn it into a discussion about the meaning of the flag. Right. (laughs) So, like, I mean, if that and you have to assume that that was part of his aim or maybe not. Maybe I'm going to know
1: it's
2: so I know it's so hard to know anymore. Um, But, man, that's uh, that is a whole nother podcast. We could do it. But,
3: uh, yeah. And it's, well, I mean, I, well, there's one thing that, that I think is important is that like, if I go, if I'm in a meeting or if I go, I sometimes volunteer at a community center mm-hmm. way out in East Portland. And if someone comes in and they need help, and if someone comes into a room and, and they don't want to drink anymore mm-hmm. or use anymore, or someone comes into that community center and they need help with their resume, or they don't know what a cover letter is, I, you don't say, well, who did you vote for? I right. mean, we're all here to help each other in this country. And, and that's, what's important well and that, like said. when it gets down to oh, it everybody good. is scared of something so like yep. if there's anything any of us can do to ease another person's pain then we should be doing it
0: very good terrific perspective all right that's our quote <laughs> nice job <right>, Casey. <laughs> see come to st louis and uh, play a show sometime we'll come see you
3: all right well let's we'll, we'll see where this probation thing lands and then maybe i will
0: okay all right, all right man. all
3: right uh, thanks care, for joining us have a good evening yeah thank you so all thank right. you you meet you too bye-bye all right. That
2: was good, man. All Right, dude. Uh, That was terrific. Yeah, it was a good Um, show. That was not
0: the worst show. That was he. That we were. Oh, yeah. No, no. That That's ranked slaughter near the top show. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um. So yeah, we 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 came back strong. Yeah. Uh,
0: Thanks in large part to uh, Casey. Yeah, Casey. Good job. Uh,
2: Anything? No,
0: man. That was a good Uh, one. I'm. I'm. I was excited. I'm excited to go listen to some of his music. Yeah, me too. Yeah, want to listen more and. uh,
2: yeah, hopefully his probation thing works out, and he gets to come to St. Louis. Come to St. Louis and around around the country to yeah. a, your neck of the woods, <laughs> if they say. Um, but uh, okay, cool. Peace out.